Welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're doing an overview-type episode for Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery. And we will share some of our general thoughts and our highlights and lowlights and stuff like that. Yay. Uh, do we want to do an announcement here, or do you want to try and announce at the end? I'll give it to you at the end. Okay. Uh, before we jump into our overall thoughts, I did make a promise a few weeks ago that I would listen to some of the recommended Star Trek podcasts that y'all um, very nicely tweeted at us. And I did listen to part of an episode of the Super Tuesday recap about Star Trek Discovery. And it was Ms. Myra who recommended that. And so one of the things I liked about their style is that there's, I think, three or four people on their panel. Jeez. And so, yeah, it's, it's very conversational. But the episode I listened to also wasn't just a single episode recap. They sort of did, like, three episodes put together and did a recap of them. So that was kind of interesting. And because they had so many people... There were some different viewpoints. I believe it does have a woman of color and a, a man of color. That doesn't sound right. But I think there's two people of color on the panel. <laughs> <laughs> One of them's a woman. How about that? Um, so, yeah. So it was interesting to hear some of their views. I didn't get a chance to listen to a whole episode because I think it was like over an hour long. And I just didn't get a chance to get into it that much you sounded so appalled that it was over an hour some of our episodes are over an hour and it's just the two of us talking about one episode no no that's fair let me just double okay yeah so the episode i was listening to was an hour and a half long and that is a bit much god the editing on that must be ridiculous possibly but if you like that good conversational style with multiple viewpoints you might want to check it out. I just, you know, listen mostly on car rides or like workouts. So 30 minutes is kind of like the big chunk that I get to sit down and listen to a podcast. So I didn't have like three sessions that it would have taken to get through that all in one go. So, yeah. So I did get to listen to that one. And... I've mentioned another one before, The Hollow Sweethearts, that was recommended by our listeners as well. I don't listen to Star Trek podcasts. (laughs) I'm also on my limited podcast list again because I am supposed to be studying for another course. So some of the time that I used to spend listening, I now spend listening to myself, uh, read through talking points from a textbook. Which is not as fun as listening to podcasts. No, no. Okay. Shall we get into this? Sure. Did you want to start with my overall thoughts and then get into some more fun stuff? How about... Mm-hmm. I, have an, I have a really good idea. Well, at least... Okay. I don't know. How about I... You mm-hmm. start with your thoughts mm-hmm. and I just... Interrupt with weird questions. <laughs> okay, this 
could either be very entertaining or go spectacularly wrong. How about, before we go into it, I start uh-huh. us off with Jen. Who was your favorite character in season one of Star Trek Discovery? Oh, and I hate picking favorites like this. Oh, all my questions are going to be favorites. I know, I know. This is going to be torture. So I'm just going to have to go off the top of my head. And I am going to say Stamets was my favorite. My favorite was, was Tilly, because she's the best. I I did enjoy Tilly as well. I just felt like her character wasn't quite as consistently written as Stamets. Oh, yeah, that's a fair point. But mm-hmm. I know. I'll... But that's also partly like, is that fair for me to say of the character? Or is that more a critique of the writing? Which is why, again, I hate picking favorites like this. Mm-hmm. So... My um, I'm I'm throwing in a, an easy one for you. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, Tilly being my favorite is partly in due to Mary Wiseman. For all I really like Mary Wiseman, also, so I'm sure that's mm-hmm. coloring my judgment there. Also, I feel bad that neither of us chose Michael, who's also amazing. But yeah, and I thought she gave. I thought she, um, Sinequa gave amazing performances. Yeah. Uh, throughout the whole show, yes, she did. I was just like, when you were talking about it, I was like, okay, if I were going to have like a picture of someone up on my wall, who would it want to be? Who would I want it to be? And Stamets was the first one that jumped into my head. Interesting. See, if I was going to have a picture up on my wall, it would probably be of my three favorite women being Tilly, Michael, and Giorgio. That's fair. I would also have Tilly up there. She would be a close, close second. All right, your, your talking points. Jump in. Yes. Well, to start this off, I'm going to say that I felt like specific mini-arcs of the season were enjoyable and well-written. And in terms of acting performances, I thought that the actors did a very good job. And there were a lot of points that had great nuance and everything and hints of the story overall were woven in throughout the entire first season. So I think that there's a lot of good elements there. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, I feel like the first season failed to deliver on some basic storytelling aspects of it, which is why the season finale especially felt like a disappointment overall. Mm-hmm. Like it felt anticlimactic, like it was a letdown and... A lot of things about the resolutions didn't feel satisfying. Shall I go on? Um, I agree that they didn't feel satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Uh, let me see if I can phrase this in a way that makes sense. But, like, how do you think the storytelling in this one compares to other Star Treks? That's a good question. I think, well, it's a really hard comparison. Because in many of the other Star Trek shows, they were dealing with an episodic format. Mm -hmm. So you have a problem, it needs to have a solution in your 40 minutes of storytelling time, unless it's going to be a double episode, in which case you get, you know, a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And character arcs aren't built up over the 
you know, the tackling of one main issue spread out over a whole season, but it's built on tiny little moments that you need to make consistent for the character over time. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to compare like this format. This is the first time that they've really done this long form, you know, write a season as a whole and, you know, explore the story throughout this longer format. The closest comparison I think you could get would be to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And again, it's hard to compare because Deep Space Nine like started off very episodic and then it did get into more arc-based storytelling, but because it was set on the cable structure, they had to fill 22 to 24 episodes each year, right? Yeah. So you had some that were directly related to it and some that were still episodic. And so, like, again, it's hard to compare. Like, if we just watched the arc episodes of Deep Space Nine and compared them just to this one season, how would it feel? Um, you know, they had some other ways that they could explore characters and have character growth happening on the side that wasn't related to the one main story they were following. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think in general, because the other shows have had more time, the storytelling was ultimately more satisfactory, at least comparing Deep Space Nine specifically with this. Okay. Um, in... Next Generation, which is the other one that I'm very familiar with. Mm-hmm. While certain characters got some good arcs and exploration, particularly Picard and Data um, being the two primary ones. But then they also really neglected some other areas in which they could have explored long-term character development and character growth, mm-hmm. particularly with Deanna Troy and Dr. Crusher. So, like, yeah. Um, And, I mean, there were some very specific incidences with Troy in which you could have explored consent, loss, grief, like, a whole bunch of really complex topics. And they gave her, like, episodic things about it, like one episode. Mm -hmm. But then there would never be callbacks to it in future episodes. Yeah. So... That was always kind of disappointing. Like, oh yeah, this really big, huge deal happened to you last week, and this week, oh, you're fine. Yeah, that so that rem- sounds like what I remember of Star Trek Discover uh, Next Gen. No, I mean here, like, do we get satisfaction for some of the side plots going on for some of the side characters? Um, like, even though I didn't like Tyler, I thought that. Uh, well, Vockler, should we call him? You didn't like him at all? Um, I didn't like... Okay, I liked... The uh, romantic plot. Yeah, I know you didn't like that, but not even as an independent... Like, if the romance didn't happen? Well, if the romance didn't happen, I think that the writers introduced the most complex issues and had a lot of potential exploration there which was really disappointing to me because the main character was supposed to be burnham Mm -hmm. and here's the boyfriend who gets like all these other layers of complexity and then we're not going to explore them (laughs) 
we're just gonna like resolve them and he's gonna leave so very disappointing now he may come back because he's not dead mm-hmm. so we may see him we may get some more exploration of that in future episodes but we may not I was going to say one more thing about the whole Vockler thing that mm-hmm. really soured it for me was Star Trek's whole, no, no, they're not the same guy. No, no, really, it's not the same guy. No, no, it's not the same guy. Oh, surprise, it's the same guy. That didn't bother me because they never actually confirmed or denied. I don't think. Nothing that I saw anyways. They did their best to mislead, well, but I didn't they see did their any best to mislead. official statements one way or the other. Okay, you may be correct. I may be previously soured from that sort of thing based on the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. So, jumping Hmm. off from that happy point, what was your favorite episode? Oh. Mine was the time loop. It may have been written out of character for everyone, which generally speaking, (laughs) I hate a lot. But I just really liked it. I thought it was a very well put together episode. Hmm. I mean, the first episode that I can remember really liking was Context is for Kings, mm-hmm. which is really early. But I need to go to an episode list now. I also really liked uh, Lethe. Mm-hmm. The one where Burnham goes to save Sarek. Yeah, that one was good. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's kind of one that I'd like to rewatch because... It is one of the times when Lorca sort of shows Michael favoritism, you know, and does mm. things for her that he wouldn't do for other people. So I'd be interested in going back to watch that one. Yeah. Mine is still the time loop episode. The I don't know. Episode. What was that one called? That one was called Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Right. How could I forget? Yes. <laughs> I mean, some of the other episodes were really good, but they're colored by how the arc from them resolves. Mm-hmm. So, like, there was some really good parts when they were in the Mirror Universe. But then I was really unsatisfied with how the Mirror Universe things ultimately played out. So, really? I would have actually felt, like, had the season ended when they came back to the Prime Universe and had that whole, that cliffhanger, like, oh, we overjumped by nine months, I actually would have felt a lot more satisfied. I know. I actually agree. I totally agree. One of the things I think was problematic was that in the resolution for the finale, it didn't seem like there was enough time to actually resolve things. Yeah. So I would have been much happier with that cliffhanger rather than the whole Star Trek Enterprise Constitution class ship is there. Which, incidentally, somebody pointed out on the fan page this morning, and I haven't verified if this is correct, but with the timeline, Spock should be serving on that ship right now. (laughs) Of course. They might choose to ignore that. I have not verified that yet or not, but... That will be something that I'm sure will be hotly theorized about. Are we going to see Spock? Who's going to be play Spock? And you know, all that kind of stuff. I would kind of be okay with that. I, I like that whole theorizing stuff that fandoms get into. And like, you know, I, I don't know. I like that side of things. Like casting announcements and how is this going to affect things and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. 
I like that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, which is probably why we're on a podcast right now. But probably, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like some of that theorizing stuff too. And I just realized because I was looking at the IMDb page that they list season two starting in 2019. That is what I said last week. And then somebody on Twitter was like, I heard 2020. And I was like, <gasps> I don't even know if I'll know Jen in 2020. I mean, I probably will, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. It just seems so far away. It really, really does. So I would much prefer 2019. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. I was going to say about the whole Spock thing. I would personally enjoy seeing that play out a lot also. But I will admit to not having any sort of vested interest in, you know, like somebody like you mm-hmm. might be more interested in them staying on character and getting Spock right and blah, 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 while I'm more interested in seeing, like, the fan fallout. <laughs> Kate wants to see all the drama in yeah, our exactly. world about this. Yeah. Seeing drama that you're not a part of is one of life's true joys. Spock has never been one of my favorite characters. And who do you like then? Well, I've really come to like Bones, like after we watched the oh, Kelvin movies and stuff like that. That's true. Bones is good. Bones really is good. But one of my specific things that makes me um, upset as a Star Trek fan is how poorly the merchandising is done mm-hmm. and always focuses on uh, Spock, Kirk, and Bones, and mostly Spock and Kirk. Mm-hmm. Some next-gen stuff is in there, but a lot of the other characters... Uh, Like, sometimes you get Worf, you get a few other little characters, but when you compare it to, like, the other big sci-fi IP out there that's, like, invented the modern merchandising machine... Are we um, not... Are we taking on a new policy where we don't name it? Because we've mentioned it before. (laughs) Maybe this is just my personal policy, so it gets less airtime. Okay, gotcha. Um... But, like, when you compare it, there's so much for all sorts of things for other franchises. And Star Trek has been just hyper-focused on a few characters, one of them being Spock, which just lessens the appeal for me. That's fair. I will say, um, from a merchandising point of view, like, Mm -hmm. Spock was the character who had, who originally had all of the things that sort of became synonymous with not only Star Trek, but kind of nerd culture, you know, like Live Long and Prosper and the Vulcan Salute. And that's like, those were things before I even knew who Spock was, I knew what a Vulcan was and what the Vulcan Salute was. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Like, that's probably having to do with some stuff. Probably. He was very iconic looking. Mm-hmm. At a at a time when all of this sort of merchandising and things would have started going, he's a space elf. <laughs> yes, he's just like a space elf. He is. I can't wait to see the tweets we get about that comment. <laughs> he has magic As- powers, for fuck's sake! Oh, people are gonna attack <laughs> me, anyways. <laughs> Listeners, I'm going to let you um, point out to Kate how Spock is not a magic space elf. Or, or you know, defend Kate about how Spock I'm is sorry. a magic space elf. I'm sorry, elf. How, how do you think that he's not a magic space elf? He can go into people's minds. He can touch your neck and suddenly you're down. He has the pointed ears. He's a magic space elf. 
Okay, you've heard all of Kate's arguments. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to leave that. I need to know how how much you disagree with me on this one. Like, do you think this is funny or are you actually offended? No, I'm laughing. This is funny. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not offended. Okay, good. It would take a lot to offend me. Because I'm right. <laughs> okay, and Kate. Anybody who says I'm wrong is just prejudice against elves. For those of you who've forgotten, Kate also does a Lord of the Rings podcast. Oh, anyway, so she does know a lot about elves. So, shall we get back to talking about yes, the story absolutely. of season one? Sorry. <laughs> Here, wait, I have a good question for you. Okay. Uh, this is the easy one that I'm giving you. Favorite Twitter presence? Favorite Twitter presence? Mm-hmm. Of any oh, of the Jason actors. Isaacs. Yeah. I had a- <laughs> You had a hunch that his I had a hunch that, that one was going to be easy. And acerbic attitude would appeal to me. You've also talked about his Twitter a lot, so. I I have actually. But yes, uh his his witty acerbic attitude just tickles me. Cuz he's never just like mean. He's intelligent yeah. and correct about what he says. I have personally really enjoyed, um, I don't think I've ever said her last name out loud, so I don't know if I'm going to do this right, um, but Mary Chifo. Oh, yes. She plays Lorel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do, I like her just because she's been so supportive of everyone and, you know, will comment on things about the show that she's not even really involved in. And I don't know, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed her on Twitter also. Rekha Sharma has also commented a lot on the season and everything throughout its run, even though she was only in a few episodes at the beginning and then at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's been super supportive. And from everything I've heard from the cast, it was like a really positive environment for everyone, which is always happy to hear about. Yeah, I'm glad about that. Especially in in light of all the other stories that were coming out about other films and TV shows and the toxic kind of environments that were present there. It's kind of nice to realize that there are little segments of the film industry that don't represent that. So, yeah. I hope nothing ever comes out about it also. Yes. By which I mean, I hope it never happened. Not that people stay quiet. I was on the same page. Yes. Okay. Okay. Back to you. Okay. Uh, Going back to the story of season one a bit. The story was sort of framed as a redemption arc. I don't know if that was officially the Star Trek take on it, or if that's just what the fans were making of it as it evolved. Mm -hmm. But as a redemption arc, it was extremely unsatisfying. Um, So clearly it was focused on Michael's fall from grace at the beginning, and then her redemption back to Starfleet. And she did start off like getting... Uh, stripped of her rank after her actions at the Battle of the Binary Stars. And then at the end, she gets all of that back. But I don't feel like it's a good redemption arc because while she feels bad about what she's done, she also feels very resolved to it. She never has a clear goal that's made throughout her actions or verbalized that she wants to get back into Starfleet. So the fact that she's rewarded with that at the end doesn't feel like it matches in a character storytelling sense. 
And even though she did prove her worth, I felt like that came really early in the season. And then there was a whole bunch of other stuff where she was already more or less accepted by the crew and filling a role there. And then, so like even that, like it felt like the reward at the end didn't match up with that, those actions and her intervention in the attempted Klingon genocide wasn't uniquely to her. So like she didn't have to make a grand sacrifice there. She didn't have any particular um, things about her journey that made it uniquely her that had to solve that problem. And so, like, she didn't have to give up Giorgio. Uh, she gave up Tyler, but that was, like, incidental to having the war resolved and the problem resolved. Like, none of these threads, like, matched up in a way that would give a satisfying redemption for her. Mm. And then they just reward her at the end and are like, congratulations, give a speech, here's your medal. Yeah, I, mean, I brought up the speech again. I think I think all of that is more realistic, even, even if it's not necessarily the best storytelling. Well, it might be realistic, but we come to these well, media no, sources for I agree story. With you. It did it did feel um unsatisfying, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially I hadn't really thought about it, but especially because she is so accepted by the crew way before the like I would say she was accepted by the crew way before even the the halfway mark. Yeah. Absolutely. If they like they could have had way more friction with her and Stamets, but they totally had to work together in the mirror episode with the time loop. Not the mirror episode, sorry. The mud episode mm-hmm. with the time loop. And she and Tyler were working well together. And everything she was friends with Tilly. There didn't seem to be much friction. They could have introduced more friction with some of the other supporting cast members, but maybe aside from some sideways glances. Yeah. You know, and there wasn't enough there. Yeah, I definitely suspect that's what they were thinking. Like, the rest of the crew hasn't accepted her, but they didn't show us that at all. That's right. That's right. And yeah, and I realized for them focusing on her and having this, like, long story arc... Michael never really seems to have a goal in mind. Yeah. Like, stop the war. Fine. But that's not really... I didn't even feel like that was particularly important to her at the beginning. Like, I'm sure it was in a in an abstract sense. Like, she didn't want her friends to be at war or whatever. But it didn't feel like she was working towards that or anything. Yeah, and if they would have worked that into the episodes where she was, like, obsessively researching everything she could about the Klingons, if she had been interviewing Laurel for hours on end, and that's why she knew Laurel was the right person at the end, mm-hmm. that could have had a lot better payoff. But I don't even remember her getting a scene with Laurel until the end. I don't you know, know like... Either, yeah. It... And I mean, they didn't have to make her 100% obsessed with it, but make it clear that that's on her mind. That's her driving force. She's trying to figure out how to fix her mistakes and end the war. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what was your favorite and least favorite Easter egg? Oh. 
My favorite and least favorite Easter egg. Hmm, that is a good question. Okay, the triple kind of falls into both categories. Mm, okay. Um, so, like, it was kind of cute that they had the triple there, and I kind of liked the little um, hints they put in with Lorca's lab, where it looked like the triples were getting dissected and things like that and worked out. Mm-hmm. It's also my least favorite because, again, the problem with their reproducing seems to be just ignored. And that was the main sort of joke of the Tribbles mm-hmm. in all of the episodes that are in, about them in the future, is that they overrun everything. So they, that can be both my, my favorite and my least favorite. I am surprised. Oh, really? I thought Mud was going to be your least favorite. Oh, God. Okay, I take it back. Mud's my <laughs> least favorite. <laughs> You're right. Oh. Well, I mean, like, again, that one had issues because the first Mud episode, hated. Hated. Like, I think that episode is definitely my least favorite episode. Um, but the time loop episode with him was entertaining. Mm-hmm. And the actor's performance was very well done. But again, even his little mini arc, I felt ended um, without good resolution. Yeah, it was kind of Like, dumb. really? You're going to let him walk away? Like, it just bothered me. So, yeah. Did you have any sort of favorite Easter eggs or anything like that that you picked up on or that we talked about? Um, n- not in particular. Because I'm, I'm not, okay. like, in- invested in any of them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I enjoyed seeing a triple. Right. Just, because a lot of the time they'd work it in into, like, a serious scene, and there'd just be a triple on the desk, and I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. There were a whole bunch of Easter eggs that I missed in the finale, apparently. Hmm. Like, was there walking through the market? There's apparently a f- several things from different star treks most notably the the eel creatures from star trek 2 the wrath of khan uh somebody's there frying some and uh there was apparently several other things and all these background scenes that they were that were there that i completely missed slipping i know i'm not uh, i blame it on the subtitles and the fact that I only get a chance to watch once before we record. So, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts? Um, I mean, I'm definitely naming this episode Magic Space Elf, but I also think I could <laughs> name it Let Jen Rant. <laughs> Do I have anything else that I want to talk about? In terms of it being a progressive show, mm-hmm. I was both... I think it took steps forward... But I also think that it was flawed and could still do better. I'm hoping it does better in season two. Uh, Like, it was very disappointing to see all these women of color at the beginning and then have two out of three of them die. I really loved the space boo couple of Stamets and Culver. I hate that Culver just did. Like, I hate it. I've seen people theorizing he's going to be back in season two. Mm -hmm. That's going to be part of the season two arc. I'm I'm okay with that. 
I don't care if it's stupid how they bring him back. I am 100% down with that. I'm sort of okay with that. Because I like there to be, like, an impact about death. Right. Um, but I, I have a but feeling not- they're going to go the comic book world route where death is not meaningful. I'm okay if anybody else dies. You just want Culver back. Yeah, and and I'd really like to see Prime Lorca. That's, yeah, I'd be okay with that. That's pretty much the only two things that I currently want for season two. Culver back, Prime Lorca. Mm-hmm. I did like some of the things they did with Mirror Lorca. Mm-hmm. Just how they are showing a, a mirror to our real world about how fascism is bad. Though I do still have it boggle my mind that we need to say that. No comment. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of what some of the other plots and things were. And my, I was going to say my other main critique of the show for the season one would be how they let basically the mirror universe do all of their dirty work. So Lork is acting badly because he's from the mirror universe. This horrible hatch, like plot is hatched to blow up the Klingon homeworld because of Giorgio from the Mirror Universe. I feel a little bit like you're uh, criticizing both ways. Like, on one hand, you're all, no, the Federation is a good place who wouldn't make these decisions. And on the other hand, they're like, they're only letting the Mirror Universe people make these decisions. Well, no, I do feel like you're right about the... Um I didn't explain myself well. Okay. I'll just say that. Because um, I do feel like a lot of their trying to take the moral high ground was undone when they were like, okay, we're going to go along with this plot for genocide at the end here. I feel like that really works against how Burnham was like, that's not who the Federation is. And I think that, again, that's something that didn't feel earned. And my sister called me out on this, actually. Um, my sister wrote us an email, and this seems like a good place to put it in. And her basic thing, I'm not going to read the whole thing out, but she was wondering about my thoughts on how the decisions set up a precedent for future questionable Starfleet Command decisions. And she's thinking specifically of some events from Deep Space Nine. And... I was trying to think about how they were different. And like in this season, it doesn't feel like this decision is earned. Like they get shoved back into the Klingon war nine months in the future. And we miss any of the other attempts by Starfleet to win the war. We miss seeing all of the devastation, like they show us a couple of things in one episode, but they don't really show us that Starfleet's gotten to that point. And they don't um, show us them wrestling at all with the decision. They don't even show Burnham wrestling with the decision. And her decision to stop it, it feels like they're trying to set up that, like, you know, Burnham was at this point at the beginning of the show, and this was her downfall when she deviated from Federation principles and committed mutiny to try and 
be hostile towards the Klingons at the beginning. And now over the course of the season, we're supposed to believe that she's learned from her mistakes and that's not the route to go. So that when she's faced with this decision at the end of the season, she just knows that it's not right. Yeah. But I don't feel like they they showed us that well enough. Question. If they had written that out better or with, like, I don't know. I, I got all that. So I guess I'm wondering if if they had put more of that in, would we be having this same conversation except how they over-explained it? I don't think that I would feel it was over-explained if we got a little bit more Starfleet struggling in the Prime Universe and a little bit less Mirror Universe shenanigans. I don't disagree that I think we could have used more time in the Prime Universe after we came back. Um, but... I don't know. I felt like we saw that that space station or whatever blow up with 80,000 people. We heard about everything that had happened. We know that Cornwall was tortured by Klingons. We... I don't know. This all felt... It all felt all right to me. But then when Burnham finds out what the plot is, it's just immediately like... I'm stopping it. This is what's happening. There's no conversation between her and Cornwell. There's no defense of the plan. There's just... I know that this is not the route now. Oh, yeah. They, they could have used maybe even just, like, one or two extra scenes to, like, yeah. tie it all together. But we've, we've talked about how that, that episode felt rushed and unsatisfying. Oh, yeah. if, if they'd extended this finale to include some of that... It would have been so much more satisfying. Even just like the season as it stands and like redo the finale, add some scenes or like cut out some of the bits and exchange them for other parts would have made that aspect of it way better. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it would have fixed the whole plausibility of the Klingons just, you know, dropping the war all of a sudden. Who but knows? That's. All right, I have one last very important question. Okay. Who had your favorite hair? Who had my favorite hair? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh. I was expecting you to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a hard decision between Michael and Tilly. Yeah. I also really liked... The lady on the bridge who had, like, the head injury, I guess. So she had, like, half no hair. Yeah, um... I liked how they did all that. I think, that, I think that looked really cool. Detmer? Sure. Was that her last name? Y you could have called her anything, I, I believe you. Okay. I think the actress's name is Emily Coots. I want to say, but, yeah. Uh, they did some very cool things with her. And a lot of her... Um, a lot of the side characters... Mm -hmm were really cool as well because there was also uh, a wool Sukun mm -hmm. on the bridge yeah. who had some magnificent hair going on and yeah she had good yeah. hair yeah and just so we're crystal clear in case anybody's in doubt about this I don't know how you could have missed this but when I say Burnham and Tilly I mean their natural hair not their straightened hair <laughs> those ones did not like I liked their natural curly hair all right 
And yeah, I could obviously rant about some other things for much longer. We have until 2019. I'm sure we'll get there. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm sure it'll come up again. Um, Do we want to start talking about any early predictions for next season? Um, I pretty much said the two things that I'm personally invested in. I want Prime Lorca, and I want mm-hmm. Culver back, for fuck's sake. Hmm. And we talked okay. about maybe Spock. That's true. That's true. Um, what about you? I definitely want Culver back. And... I definitely do not want Spock to be captain of Discovery. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. Maybe for an episode... Just to have that fun sibling dynamic, then no. Yeah, no. I I don't even want Spock to make an appearance. I may not get a choice in that. Well, I definitely don't get a choice in that. The Star Trek writers room doesn't call me up or anything like that. Though they should, maybe. <laughs> so what? They can have first access to your <laughs> ranting. Yes. I'm sure they'd love they that. Can, like, let's I'll call up the scripts this, and <laughs> this fan so she can yell at us. They can send me the scripts. I will send them back with my notes and comments, and they can fix it. I'd be happy to do that. I'm sure a lot of fans would. (laughs) Yes. I'm sure in the hiatus, there will be lots of theories to potentially discuss. Yeah, I'm sure things will get announced, and filming will start, and pictures will surface. Well, I did see a tweet from Star Trek Dog, Mm -hmm. which is the dog of... Uh, somebody whose name I can't remember right now, but um, one of the people on the show would bring the, their dog to the writer's room, and the dog had its own Twitter account. And they commented how they were looking forward to seeing their friends again and starting work again in April. So they might be starting on scripts pretty soon. Yeah, I think I'm going to not try and predict too much right now. Yeah, we pretty much have nothing to go on at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Other than the Enterprise being there. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Shall we go to listener mail? Yes. Okay. Do you want me to read it out? Uh, sure. Okay. So, Kate ordered Matthew to write an essay for us. I mean, ordered. (laughs) I I prefer the term requested. Okay. Kate emphatically requested that Matthew write an essay. (laughs) And so he emailed us this week and his email was delightful. So I'll share it with you all here. It's titled what I did on my vacation to the mirror universe. (laughs) So he says, I finally rewatched the episode. What's past is prologue to remind myself why I tweeted you. The main thing is that there are a number of moments that don't hold together. He's talking about for himself. For example, everyone being a good shot to take out the red shirts in the corridor fight, but being unable to hit Burnham when she runs away from the bridge, when she and the Emperor take out the bridge guards, and generally missing Lorca, the Emperor, Landry, and other named characters. And I'm just going to put a Jen side note in here, is that this is very Star Wars-esque. Mm-hmm. And then Matthew continues, It reminds me of The Wolf Inside, where we keep questioning things. Why was there no medical crew when they were in sickbay? Why were the medics not watching Stamets when they were trying to heal him? And why was his apparently dead body left on the table with Tilly staring at him? None of this takes away from the great elements of the show, 
but put in enough elements that don't make sense, and I end up annoyed that they've not paid more attention to these things. And then he says, we don't have to read this out, but he laughed when he, we said we wanted the essay, so he wanted to send something else, something in. I'm glad that he laughed, because afterwards I <laughs> was like, hmm, I don't know if that was funny, or maybe I should have not demanded that a listener... Uh, send us an essay. But anyway, so I'm glad he laughed. Yeah. You know what, Kate? Our listeners seem to have a great sense of humor and are also very intelligent and able to discuss things civilly. So I think that it's all going to be okay. That is good. I like all those things about people. Don't forget, listeners, Kate called Spock a space elf. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember my compliments to you being civil and kind. I don't care what people say about me in regards <laughs> to that. It is true. We can throw down about this if people want to. Oh. He has pointed ears. What 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 do you think they were inspired by? Okay. Do we have anything else that we need to share? Oh, we need to announce what we're going to be watching. Did, did you want to comment on the email at all? Did I want to what? Comment on the email. Did I want to comment on the email? That you just read. You read an email yeah. from Matthew. Did we have anything to thank add? Thank you. <laughs> Aside from saying thank you, Matthew, for writing in. We love to hear from all of our listeners. Or do you want me to expand on any of what he said? No, I, I agree just... with all of it. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, good. I just yeah. we did we never said that. We just jumped straight into making fun of Caitlin. So I just <laughs> wanted to make sure. Okay. And going back to my sister's email as well, I don't feel like I addressed it enough. Um, I think that the future the the other TV shows that had um, decisions like this. I felt like they earned those decisions and they spent more time leading up to them and exploring the issues behind them, which makes it more like they're treating it as an issue. Whereas here it was just like, this is a the problem that Burnham's going to solve to get reinstated. The issue of it being right or wrong, it doesn't feel like they actually looked at that with any real intent to delve into it. I kind of wish I could watch that last episode without having seen the rest of the season to see what I would think about it. That would be interesting. As a standalone episode, it might actually hold up a lot better. Yeah. Okay, just to throw it in there, Leonard Nimoy also has a song about Bilbo Baggins, so that's a point <laughs> in my column. Carry on. <laughs> okay. Um, I will try to remember so, to put that in the show notes just in case nobody has listened to Leonard Nimoy sing about Bilbo Baggins. I actually have not heard Leonard Nimoy sing oh about God, Bilbo Baggins. Oh my god, you haven't? It's so fabulously <laughs> terrible and wonderful. I will link you as soon as I, we are done here. I feel like most of the uh, Star Trek actors' musical contributions could be discussed that way. Yep. <laughs> With the exception of Avery Brooks performing with, um, uh, again, names are not in my head today. Um, but Avery Brooks performs a song in Deep Space Nine, which was fabulously done. Oh, okay. You're trying not to click, aren't you? 
I'm trying not to click. Yes, Kate just sent me the link. And my first thought was like, people always ping me while I'm recording a podcast. Who is it this time? And I'm like, oh, it's Kate. Yep. Okay. All right. I think we're done. Well, Kate, we haven't told people what we're discussing next oh, week. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. So um, I have to make Jen watch something next week. And... It's too early for me to make her watch the thing that I'm most excited to make her watch. So. (laughs) Is that about the other IP, Kate? Is that about that other franchise? It is. And we can talk more about this at the time when I make you watch this. But I'm going to suggest that you go into it with an open mind. But. Okay. Let's. um, So we're. Some of the things that we're going to be doing during our off season, whatever. Um is just watching other sci-fi that hopefully has some good some good women characters in it and or discuss how and why they don't. And so I was trying to pick a sci-fi movie that I liked that Jen had not seen. So we are going to go with Looper. Okay, Looper. And I hadn't Jeez. even heard of this one. It is a fun... Well, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. Uh, time travel... With um, Bruce Willis, Emily Blunt, and that dude who's in everything. Uh, Not everything. Gordon James Levitt? Jason Gordon Levitt? Jason. Joseph Joseph Joseph. Gordon Levitt. (laughs) Joseph Gordon. (laughs) We got there. We got there. We did. Teamwork. (laughs) Yep. Uh, And I, I generally like Bruce Willis, and I like Emily Blunt, and I haven't seen much of Joseph joseph gordon levitt so hopefully this will be good yeah i haven't seen this movie since i saw it in theaters so i am excited to watch it again okay and then i just want to give people like a little bit of a preview for the weeks coming up so next week we're going to discuss looper the week after that we tentatively have scheduled something else that's Star Trek related. I assumed you'd choose, up, choose something. Yeah. So if you have any suggestions for what to watch in the Star Trek universe, let us know. And then the week after that, I'm really excited because we have scheduled to watch Galaxy Quest. Which I have never seen, so I'm also excited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I'm really... Cause there's so many little parts of Galaxy Quest that are like callbacks to many Star Trek episodes. And it's hard to like properly prepare you for that when you haven't seen a lot of other Star Trek. Although I'm I'm sure you'll still get it overall. Mhm. Oh, recommendations. Yes. Kate, do you have a recommendation this week? The only thing, the only one I can think of is really, really obvious because the whole internet is recommending it right now. But I did see Black Panther this weekend and it was amazing. And in fact, as soon as we stop recording, I'm going to go see it again this afternoon. So it was really, really, really good. Awesome. I kind of had figured that you were going to recommend that. Yeah. So I'm going to do what you would have recommended had the movie not opened this week. And that is go watch some of the ice dancing. Oh yeah, from the Olympics. I'm backing you up on this one. Yeah. Um. So the Canadian ice dancing team 
Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer. Is that yes. Name? Yes. Okay. Canada's sweethearts. Yes. Yes. Canada's sweethearts uh, turned in some stunning performances and you should go check it out. And uh, I haven't seen the other teams really. I would love to check out the Korean team. And the Korean team. Okay. The Korean team, you have to watch their short dance and see their reaction because they obviously did not think they were going to make it through to the free dance, and it is so adorable. And you could just see that right then, that was them winning the Olympics right there. They were so happy. And then, in the free dance, ah, the Shibutani uh, siblings, fabulous. Mm -hmm. They were so Mm -hmm. good. Um, I can't like the French pair. I just can't, because they're sort of our rivals. Mm -hmm. Um, But but I'm sure they were fine. I... (laughs) I did. I try to be objective, and like they did, kind of a blah dance. Anyways, I mean, I'm sure it was technically very good, but mm-hmm. they didn't do anything. They didn't do choose an interesting song. It was it was Moonlight Sonata, I think. They didn't. I don't know. Whatever. 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 Um, who else was fabulous? Um, so many good outfits. The other Canadian group who did or pair who did James Bond, so good. Us. Very good performances. Anyways, you should. Ice dancing was fabulous. Awesome. So, yeah, that's my recommendation. Anyways, sorry. Let's move on. Okay. The Olympics. Okay. I could go on. <laughs> Are you sure you shouldn't just force me to watch some Olympics this week? And, <laughs> and then what? Talk about <laughs> it on our sci-fi podcast? I mean, some of those jumps are gravity-defying, but I don't think there's science fiction involved. Fair point, fair point. Most of the storylines seem to be more about love and drama and overcoming, not through science, but through athleticism. And also, if you haven't checked any of it out, I highly recommend Leslie Jones's Olympic reactions on Twitter. She's fucking hilarious. Yes. And so enthusiastic. I love her so much. I wish she was not cheering for the Americans. (laughs) She did say that she enjoyed the Canadian Ice Dancers. She did have a lot of good things to say about them. I just mean overall, she's generally... I would like someone like her doing that for Canadian teams. Oh, God, yes. That would be great. Anyways, shall we do our outro now? Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share, you can contact us by email at acommandofherown at gmail.com, on Twitter at commandofherown, or on Instagram, instagram.com slash a command of her own. I've been Jen. And I've been Caitlin. Bye. See you. So if you were going to pick an alien race to be in Star Trek, you would pick Vulcans? Yeah, definitely, man. Magic powers. Okay. I can't I can't imagine we have our own comedy shows. And their names are springing to your head right now, right? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>